Amen. You may be seated. Every time I sing this hymn, something just kind of jumps out and just grabs me, you know? And uh, I think the thing that really stuck out today was, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And we're not talking about arriving back in Pioneer Town. We're not talking about arriving in New Kaipa or Redlands or wherever we came from. It's about arriving in our heavenly home because we look forward to heaven. That is where our hope is. Like this morning in the sermon, I had said that we are sojourners. We are pilgrims on this earth. We are so so uh, living in tens. But one day we will reach our heavenly home where we will be with Jesus Christ forever and ever worshiping him. Well, let us continue now. Let us pray and ask the Lord to open his word to us. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I promised this morning, uh, we are going to be jumping into the book of Jonah, into the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter one, and I will just be reading the first three verses for us this evening. Jonah chapter one, beginning at verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God's holy word. So this evening, we embark on our journey through the prophet Jonah. And I know that when you think of this little book, in the Old Testament minor prophets, the first thing that comes to mind is Jonah getting swallowed up by a big fish. Even non-Christians probably heard of this fish. It might be the fact that when you get uh, to this book in reading or in your, when you're reading uh, your children's story Bible to your kids, there's probably a picture in there with a man and he's inside the belly of a big fish. But actually... This is not the main point. Yes, what happens with Jonah with relation to the fish is important. As Jonah is the only prophet whom Jesus likened himself to. Matthew chapter 12, 38 through 41. We see that Jonah's experience being inside the fish for three days and then spit out 
is a foreshadowing of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the fish is not the main character. Of course, God in his sovereignty chose a big fish to swallow up Jonah in his unbelief. However, what is more important about this book, like the rest of the Bible, is that the main character in the book is God himself and not some fish in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about God's sovereignty. It's about his mercy, his care. It's about God's missionary purpose. It's about God's dealings with Jonah, who is a representative of Israel. Indeed, a representative of God's people. This book is about how God deals with a person whom he called, but has rebelled against him. It's about how God seeks and saves lost sheep. Yes, even his lost sheep who are still outside of his sheepfold. God has a people who has called in Christ from before the foundation of the earth. Well, who is Jonah? From 2 Kings 14, 23 to 25, we read that Jonah was a servant of God. Servants are those who are set apart by God for a special purpose given by God. And Jonah's purpose in 2 Kings was to prophesy to the Israelite king Jeroboam about a forthcoming victory. And there we see that the Lord granted him some success in his ministry there. Here, his purpose was to preach to the wicked Assyrians of Nineveh. And we see that the entirety of his ministry in this book is on foreign soil. Unlike other Old Testament books, this minor prophet revolves exclusively around a Gentile nation. And we are an entirely different continent, aren't we? And as a people called by Christ, you are special in God's eyes, and you have been given a privilege above everyone else. You've been called out to worship and to serve our maker and our king. If you follow the flow of redemptive history, you see that Jonah's ministry comes right after that of Elijah and Elisha. These prophets knew that God was up to something, and they were devoted to it. In Jonah, God clearly tells Jonah his reason for calling him. God has a plan for the nations. And he has graciously called Jonah to be part of that something big. Brothers and sisters, don't get caught up in that thing that's going on around you. In our country or our city or in politics or whatever it is. Because God is up to something big. And he has called us 
who he has, who we are part of his body, to be part of that something big. You need to know that you have been called for God's purposes. And God has called you first and foremost to himself. And part of his glorious plan is to use you for the purpose of his glorious kingdom. Now, in the days of Jonah's ministry around about the 8th century B.C., God's prophets would be enrolled in what are called the schools of the prophets. If you read 2 Kings carefully, for example, you would see that Elijah and Elisha were actually sons of the prophets. So Jonah, being their contemporary, also had the privilege of belonging even if it was not to one of those schools mentioned. But, like his predecessors, he too would have devoted himself to fellowship with others. He too would have been studying and praying and discussing and prophesying. You know, it truly is a blessing and a privilege to be part of this body. Don't take it for granted. You need each other. You need spiritual fellowship. In order to grow in Christ, you need the blessing that fellowship brings. The encouragement, the admonishment, and even the rebuke that your brother might bring. Don't take these things for granted, but build upon them. Now, Jonah had all of that, but when we read the opening verse of this book, it appears that he did take these things for granted. See, he let fear, granted it was warranted fear, but he let fear and national pride get in the way. Jonah let these things overwhelm him. And so, when God asks him to step out of his comfort zone, he doesn't listen. And he goes in the opposite direction. Jonah cannot handle the fact that God might just go ahead and save people that are different from him. He might just go ahead and save those who were his national political Enemies. But before you go on pointing the finger at Jonah, we are all very good at that, aren't we? Especially when we read about the bad examples in the Bible, you really need to also take a good look at yourself. You have to admit that so often, you too are reluctant to step out of your comfort zone. That's why it's called a comfort zone. It's easy for us to make excuses, but God, if I talk to that person, I might get rejected. But God, if I share my struggle with that sister, I might get laughed at. But God, you want me to share my testimony with my unbelieving family member? Are you crazy? And we do the opposite. We disobey. Even when we heard God say it to us so clearly. 
But the thing is, you cannot run from God. You cannot persist in your disobedience. Your God, the God who saved you, even Jesus Christ, is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. He is patient with you. You know, our patience runs out so easy. Especially this past month, I know. But God's patience toward his own children never runs out. He keeps calling us back to himself. He keeps encouraging us. He keeps blessing us beyond what we can ever think or imagine. Now, there are three things that I hope that you get from these three verses this evening. First, God is always speaking and God even speaks to you. He tells you what to do. Second, you understand when he speaks to you. You know it's him when he speaks to you. And thirdly, how you respond to God really does make a difference. How do you respond to God? I think that's the challenge for us this night. You see, God gives us clear instructions. He gives us instructions that we can and do understand. God has revealed himself and his will through his word. And though there are parts of the word that are difficult to be interpreted, they can be understood by the clearer parts. And each of us has different levels of understanding. Jonah was a prophet of God who at that epoch in history enjoyed direct revelation from God himself. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. God revealed his will directly to Jonah. And it was not the word of man, <laughs> but the word of the Lord. God had something special that Jonah needed to hear. And he told him. It came. Jonah was going about his life. He was doing what he was doing. And suddenly, he hears from the Lord. And it was unpredictable. It was sudden. And God wants Jonah to go and tell the evil and great city of Nineveh something. This was absolutely not what Jonah wanted to hear. It was opposite of what he thought that the Lord would say, considering that he was Israel's prophet. And so he was shocked, maybe a little frustrated, maybe a little disturbed. But that's what happens, isn't it? We read the Bible Children, we hear the Bible read to us by our parents. When we gather on the Lord's Day, we hear God's Word read and preached to us. And God issues to us His commands, His will. He tells us how to think. He tells us how to speak. He tells us how to live. And as members of His covenant family, he has opened up our ears to hear. And the more we read, 
the more we hear and obey, the more we become accustomed to his voice. See, God is the sovereign almighty, and we are the subjects in his kingdom. And as such, God commands us and tells us his will for us. God is our heavenly father, and we are his children. And as such, he tells us what he wants us to do and how we are to act. He tells us in ways that we cannot comprehend, but it's clear. And we receive that word. But when we least expect it, God tells us to do the unpredictable. And we are surprised. We are stopped in our tracks and we are called to obedience. So God reveals his will clearly to us. When we hear and read, we know that it is God. But we were often caught off guard because our obedience is challenged. But, but that's how we grow. God gives us clear instructions, and we can understand them. When he says, do this, don't do that, you get it. Because God speaks in a way that speaks to our heart. And the reason it makes it to your heart is because the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. And this, is, this was only made possible because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did on your behalf. <clears throat> he told Jonah to arise, go to Nineveh and call out against it. Not only see any words that are more clear or precise than those words. Those words could not be any simpler. He calls Jonah to do this, to obey him. When God asks you to do something specific, it will be clear. When Jesus says to repent, and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is what he means. He says, repent. Turn from your sins and believe. Believe who Jesus is and what he has done for those whom the Father has given to him. But what does he say here? He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was a major world empire by the 8th century BC. From chapter 4, we learn that it was inhabited by more than 120,000 citizens. Up until then, this pagan city was one of Israel's greatest enemies. It reeked of wickedness. The scent of their evil rose to God's nostrils. And Jonah knew that. God's call was uncomfortable. What do you mean, God? Do you want me to go up there and preach to them? God wanted Jonah to leave his place in life where he felt secure. Why can't God just send me to some place in Israel? Among God's people. Brothers and sisters, you have to admit that in so many ways, 
You and I are just like Jonah. God says, go apologize to that person. He says, reconcile with your neighbor. Reconcile with that person right here in sovereign grace. Or he says, volunteer to serve or go to prayer meeting. Or help that person in need. And you're uncomfortable. You just want to hang out with your family. Or you want to hang out with those same people that you hang out with week after week. You don't serve in a particular way because it's uncomfortable. God might ask you to talk to your high school classmate about the gospel or share the good news with your coworker, or even your atheist mom and dad. Even that stranger you pass by every day while exercising in the park. And you're uncomfortable. And you never did that before. Seems like a new concept. And God's call was incomprehensible. Nineveh were God-haters. God even said that their wickedness had gone up before his face. Why would God be gracious and call them? It did not register. Jonah just didn't get it. Or did he? In chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah confessed why he did not want to do it. He said, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And that he almost certainly got from Exodus chapter 34. As one who was privileged to be a prophet of God, Jonah eschewed or drew back from even the chance of such a wicked nation hearing his cry and being brought to their knees. God's character showed through his command to Jonah. God is a compassionate God. He has a heart for his people and he has a heart for the lost, for sinners. And God is gracious. And his grace is greater than anyone's sins or everyone's sins combined. Even before the events in Jonah, there are several outside the nation of Israel who believed in Israel's God and were saved. They looked to and hoped in Christ. His atonement was efficacious even in the Old Testament. And what does Christ say so clearly to his disciples? He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Do you see that? He says, all nations, not just those you feel comfortable talking to or those who look most like you. And so Jonah was worried that even the Ninevites would turn to the Lord and be brought to repentance. How can it be? So what happens? What happens when God reveals himself to us and gives us clear instructions to obey him? Well, we just want to run away from him. We want to pretend like we didn't even hear him. We want to pretend like he isn't even there. But what did Jonah do? Well, 
He just flat out refused the assignment given by the Lord. He is disobeying, protesting. He's rebelling. He wants to try to run away from God, to go to the other way, to escape his commission. The text says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah turned from God's word. God said, arise and go to Nineveh. And Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Jonah, a prophet of God even, refused his assignment. Even though it was clear and precise, Jonah tries to escape that reality. Did you know that Jonah is the only instance in Scripture where one of the prophets called by God refuses God's instructions? You see, that's a big deal. Something real is going on here. Jonah is afraid. Jonah is worried. He's afraid at the sheer awesome size of that great city. He's afraid because he knows that they are enemies of God's people, therefore enemies of God. He's afraid because God just told him that their evil has come up before him. Their wickedness, their vileness is so bad that it requires God's hand of punishment. Now, this is all true and warrants cause for fear and worry, but he's afraid because he knows who God is. He's afraid because he knows God's character. He knows that he is the Lord, the Lord, merciful, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. He knows that God has saved and continues to save people that are not included in the nation of Israel. He understands the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 67, where he prays, on behalf of God's people. My God, be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And he shudders at the fact that God might make Israel's enemy worshipers of God. And for us, it is so easy to have that same attitude it is just so easy to hang out in our own Christian bubble. That's where we are comfortable, and it feels uncomfortable when we are visited by someone who is not like us. Maybe someone of a different social status or someone from a different background. I know. You just want to take a detour just, not, just to not have to see that person or walk by that person. You cringe when you see a person who's wearing a, a burqa rather than taking a second to say hi or even a few seconds to share your faith with her because she looks different 
She has a different background. Even though you know Jesus is mighty to save people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And God is bringing to himself Indonesians and people from the Middle Eastern backgrounds and Buddhists and people from all over to himself every day, every single day. So what does Jonah want to do? He wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. I like what the original says. It says, he arose to flee to Tarshish from before the face of Yahweh. He not only turns from God's command, his word, but he turns from God and is trying to flee from God himself. He must have certainly known that no one can escape God's presence because he is omnipresent. What did David confess in Psalm 139? He says, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And Sinclair Ferguson says that Jonah just wanted to get away from the felt presence of God. Instead of obeying and heading up to Nineveh, which comparatively wasn't that far, about 500 miles northeast of Israel, and taking a land route, he decided to head down to Joppa and pay a fare for a ship to Tarshish. And so there was a cost. And Tarshish was way on the other side of the Mediterranean, which would have been, in his mind, on the other side of the globe from where God wanted him to go. And to top that, it is more, it's a more treacherous sea route. And he is doing whatever he can, even the craziest things possible, to escape God. Remember when you were a kid, you tried to fake being sick so you wouldn't have to go to school? Did you ever lay in bed and complain to your parents of an upset stomach or fake a cough just so you can get an extra free day? Well, this pales, this pales in comparison to Jonah by far. Jonah did something crazy just to try to escape from the face of the Lord. He was, a re he was rebellious and disobedient. His sin nature kicked in and he acted upon it. But before you point the finger at Jonah as a bad example, you need to examine yourself. You and I are all prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the Lord I love. We know that we have been called by God for the purpose of worship and serving him. We know that if we love Christ, we will keep his commands. Yet we fail him day in and day out. But I don't want to leave you there. 
And the Bible says, but God, but God is gracious. He does not let go of us. He does not. He will not let us perish in rebellion. But Jesus Christ, he obeyed the heavenly father. He obeyed every word he said. Jesus Christ knew that we would fail and that we would rebel against God. So he became, he obeyed and he became like us and took the form of a servant. Not only that, he was obedient even to death, the vile death of the cross. Nothing would stop him. His own ego would not stop him. His being the God-man would not even stop him from complete obedience. And he did it all for you and me and all lost sinners whom he came to seek and to save. Not one left behind. And Jonah is included too. Though Jonah had a fit of rebelliousness, and though we see this rebellious and ungrateful attitude come back again later in the book, God showed his favor on him. His grace through Jesus Christ is indeed greater than all of our sin. Brothers and sisters, don't ever forget that. His grace is greater than all of our sin. Let us pray. <clears throat> our gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in Jesus, we have full assurance of pardon for our sin. We thank you that even though we want to persist in our rebellion against your command. You always call us back to yourself because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. And so we pray this in his name. Amen.